0: I use the saw to split the pelvis and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out right so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife we all know how much that sucks so. Um, Take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up everybody? Welcome back. Hopefully everybody has had a great week thus far. I'm living my best life and uh, I tell you what, I'm sick of snow already. I am ready to get out and do a little shed hunting. I'm ready for some mushroom hunting. I'm ready to shoot a turkey in the face. I am ready to do a whole bunch of you know, other outside activities other than scooping my driveway Um, That's getting old, but the forecast is showing that here in Iowa, we have a a couple more storms. We have some really more, you know, some really more, some uh, more cold weather coming. And uh, that varmint up in Pennsylvania saw his shadow again. So if you believe in uh, uh, magic, I guess it would be, then you will know that we have like six more weeks of winter, which really sucks. I'm ready for uh, I'm ready for spring. (laughs) With all that said, we have a really good podcast today and I'm going to tell you, it's not a sexy podcast Um, and hopefully if you've made it this far, I want you to listen to the whole thing, right? Because the, you know, how to kill big bucks on public land, run and gun whitetails, food plots that grow big antlers, all that stuff doesn't matter if we don't have people in the right positions fighting for our right to hunt in Washington, D.C., right? So today we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Torin Miller and Torin works for the National Deer Association. And if you're late to the game, the National Deer Association is the National Deer Alliance and the Quality Deer Management Association. They have merged together to form this new uh, organization. And uh, all the great things that happened with the QDMA and all the great things that happened with the uh, NDA are now under one roof. And this episode in particular is about policy, right? So I talked with Torin about the policies that the uh, National Deer Association have been um, working on or Uh, assisting in throughout the last year and they are busting their balls man there's a lot of good things that these guys are doing um, as as far as policy because not only do we have to we have to give our support to the conservation efforts not only do we have to give our support um, you know to the people who are making the content like myself you know who uh, I guess uh, you know, we talk about deer hunting, but these guys in topics like this, although not sexy are very important because if we didn't have anyone, um, supporting us it, when it comes to voting and rate rules and regulations and, um, the, the white tie or white shirt or whatever, white collar, let's just say in the white collar world, then that kind of trickles down and affects us. Uh, as hunters and as we all know based off of what's going down in california thank god knock on wood that that didn't go any further than it needed to but there are people trying to take away our right to hunt so That's all I'm going to say about that, right? It's a badass episode. He schools us to the game on a lot of what went down in 2020, what they're going to be working on in 2021, and just why policy um, for deer hunting uh, and deer health is important to to all of us. So I do have to do a, a commercial here real quick and uh, i'm changing the format up just a little bit uh today we're going to be talking about wasp broadheads and vortex i'm going to be doing a little um not one company uh, moving forward but like a couple companies uh throughout the rest of this uh um i don't know i'm gonna change it up just to see what it's like anyway wasp broadheads huge fan of this this company I love the people who work there. They want to see us as hunters succeed. So they make a badass broadhead with the best material, right? They have a full lineup of mechanicals and fixed blades. Uh, this year I shot my buck with the jackhammer. I've shot in a lot of deer with a. jackhammer i've shot in deer with their boss four blade that's a fixed blade broadhead two really badass broadheads and i really think that you guys should all take a look at those vortex or excuse me uh wasp archery.com and uh, if you enter the discount code nine fingers 2020 you will receive a you're going to receive 20% off your purchase, right? So nine fingers, 2020, and that is 20% off of your purchase. Now, and if for some reason that doesn't work, I know I have a, uh, a code that works for that 20% off. I just... For some reason, because it's a new year, I think that might have changed. But if it doesn't, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook, and I'll give you the. I'll I'll make sure you get that twenty percent discount. All right, the next company, Vortex Optics, and these guys are. This is another badass company that, after having conversations with the people that work there, they want to do one thing in 2021, and that is put a lot of support behind getting new people into the outdoors through hunting. And uh, these guys are going to be doing a lot of pushing and supporting of people who um, are, you know, are trying to push that content and, uh, you know, get others involved in the outdoors. On top of that, they have an American-made company, a veteran-owned company, and they put out some of the best optics in the optic world, optics world, period right so vortexoptics.com i i've been using their i have one pair of binoculars that i've used from vortex for like 10 years now and i've had to send it in through their vip warranty multiple times i think twice actually where i broke it they fix it they send it back to me no charge so it's almost like getting a new pair of binoculars um i have a badass spotting scope from them i have the ranger um uh, spot uh Yardage distance range finder. That's what it is. Uh, range finder from them as well. Another badass piece of gear that uh, when you when you have high quality, you feel confident in the in the field, in the timber, in the woods, whatever you're trying to accomplish. And uh, one of my buddies told it told me to it told me this. I'm a little fired up right now. Uh, if you're not thinking about that piece of gear, that means that piece of gear is working the way it's supposed to you shouldn't have to think about that gear it should just perform right and uh, that way it's one less thing you got to think about while you're in the woods chasing animals and you can be focused on the kill so vortexoptics.com please go check them out and what they're doing they're doing a lot of uh, great things other than that uh torn miller National Deer Association, really good podcast. Uh please listen all the way through as uh, this policy stuff is very important to all of us. And uh I hope you enjoy. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Torrin Miller. Torrin, what's up?
1: Not a whole lot. Time to stay warm here, uh, in central PA. Uh yeah. winter has finally, finally hit. Uh pretty mild so far, but we always get a week or two that it's just bitter cold
0: yeah are you in any portion of the state that gets like lake effect snow
1: no we're too far south for that and we had the mountains in between us and the lakes um and actually like the last couple winters we haven't had much snow at all yeah we did have a snow this year just before christmas that a lot of the northeast got and that was actually like more snow than we had all of last year uh and we got that all in one snowfall so dang that was a little unusual but it's actually been yeah relatively mild uh where i live the last i don't know five years or so
0: yeah let's see i'm trying to think we had a like a four inch snowfall that kind of all melted in december and then we got a six inch snowfall and then on top of that we had like a 10 inch snowfall and then we're forecasted uh between tonight which is uh friday and midday on saturday we're forecasted for another four to seven inches so Iowa is getting hammered this year, you know, and I know there's probably guys out west or guys who get that lake effect snow. They're like, oh, you only got, you know, 25 inches of snow or whatever, you know, like quit whining about it. But um, Iowa kind of went through some some parts of the state went through a drought this year. So this snow is, you know, it sucks, but it's a blessing at the same time because uh, some of our our soil really needs it.
1: Yeah, no, I hear that. Um, we normally are pretty good. Like we normally get like one small snowfall sometime through the fall uh, or late fall sometime in November, early December that we can hunt in. Um, and we got that this year, but it like lasted a day or two Yeah. Um, through the end of our archery season and in, in sort of mid to late November. Yeah. Um, but we did have some snow for our, our late archery and muzzleloader season, which was nice to get out and do some hunting. In the snow, it's just always nice to have that extra visibility and sort of see the fresh sign a little easier.
0: Yeah, I believe you. Uh, All right. So I want to get into this. Today, we're going to be talking about whitetail or or deer policy, and we'll get into the meat and potatoes of that here in a little bit. But uh, why don't you go ahead and, and give people, you know, your credentials, you know, what you do for the organization that you do, where you started and how you've gotten to the position that you're in today.
1: Yeah, so it's been sort of a long and and winding yet purposeful journey to get here. Um, I guess I'll start off with where I'm at. I am the Director of Policy at the National Deer Association. Uh, So the National Deer Association is the new merged organization between the Quality Deer Management Association and the National Deer Alliance. Um, So previously, I was with the National Deer Alliance as a policy and outreach coordinator there. And prior to that, I had interned uh, for the National Deer Alliance, and I had also interned for the Quality Deer Management Association. So it's, it's really cool to see all that experience sort of come full circle and, and lead me here as now the director of policy. Um, but prior to that, um, my undergrad degrees in wildlife and fishery science. Um, I thought potentially that I wanted to be a wildlife biologist and do field work, but as I started going through that program, I wasn't sure that that's the direction I wanted to be. I didn't know if I wanted to work uh, for state or federal agency as a biologist. And I knew I didn't want to stay in academia uh, and be a researcher or teach. Um, And so that got me interested in some other avenues. And I got more and more interested in sort of the human dimension side of wildlife management. And that got me thinking about law school. So I ended up going to law school uh, and specialized in environmental law. And I graduated law school in 2019. And then uh, shortly after that is when I was able to go on full time at the National Deer Alliance and sort of just became part of this merger uh, to form the National Deer Association.
0: So are you like the legal team of the organization?
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't serve as an attorney role, which is fine by me. Um, I knew that I didn't want to take the traditional legal path. Right. Um, I wanted to be more involved in in writing legislation and influencing policy and those sorts of things rather than sort of some of the behind the scene administrative type legal work. Yeah. Um, but it is nice. I, I have the legal mind, so it's nice to be able to provide some input on that uh, where I can and when I can. Uh, but there's very specific lines that you can and cannot cross uh, when you're an attorney. Yeah. And so there's. Uh, attorney-client roles um, and representation rules that I just need to make sure that I'm following.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what does the director of policy do?
1: It's pretty varied and it's really cool because I get to interact with all of our different departments in, in different ways. Um, we have a conservation department, we have our grassroots department, we have our communications department. Um, and so I work with all those groups, but Essentially, my job is to make sure that our membership and and the people that we represent, and especially wild deer, have a seat at the table on on policymaking decisions uh, at both the local, state, and federal levels. Uh, So we engage in uh, the legislative process, the regulatory process. Um, We work closely with state agencies in developing uh, disease management plans or deer management plans. Uh, or in their rulemaking. Uh, so we do a little bit of everything. Um, I, I said about disease, uh, management plans, CWD and CWD policy is a big part of my work. Uh, we're really involved in that. And that's one of our sort of, uh, co- four, co- we have four focus areas. Um, one of those being policy and another one being deer diseases and those two overlap a lot. So yeah. I spend a lot of my time, uh, sort of in that space. But it's all kinds of things i mean it's it's helping to actually write legislation it's uh, creating action alerts and making sure that our memberships aware of these issues uh, that are pertinent to them and helping to engage that grassroots membership uh, to help make make change and make their voices heard Uh, it's a lot of letter writing and uh, discussion with agency uh, to discuss the science behind some of the decisions and, and how we can use that science to form policies. And so that's really where the sort of cross-departmental work all comes in is that I, I rely on our conservation department to help um, help me understand the science and how that science pertains to policy making and then we rely on the communications department to make sure that our message is getting out there and to make sure that our membership is aware of these issues and that they're able to take action on them.
0: Gotcha. All right, so it seems like, you know, along with the merger of the National Deer Alliance and Quality Deer Management Association, uh, 2020 was kind of a busy year, not only for that, but for uh, on a policy side as well. So I think what I'd like to do today is discuss some of the big hitting uh, topics that you guys have worked on or covered Um issues initiatives victories that kind of stuff and uh talk you know talk about those so um at this point what i'll do is um you sent me a bullet point kind of a overview of what you guys worked on this year what uh, and th- that's a good starting point for us to uh i guess kick it off so why don't we uh t- like overview here it says here uh initiatives included state level uh, initiatives in 35 different states. Um, so you guys are kind of countrywide. Any any place that has deer in it is where you guys are focusing, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So uh, prior to the merger, uh, the merger was officially announced in July of 2020 and then became official with the name, new logo and the such in November of 2020. Uh, but even prior to that, the QDMA and NDA, the National Deer Alliance, had worked really closely together on another a number of policy initiatives. And actually, the National Deer Alliance was formed originally by uh, QDMA, the Mule Deer Foundation, and Whitetails Unlimited. And one of the primary focuses, or the primary focus of the National Deer Alliance, was to serve as a policy voice for those three organizations. Um, so we already had a really close working working relationship on policy issues. Um, So 2020 was interesting because we had already had this working relationship and we had started to form this, this new organization where we were working even more closely together. And so it was really cool for me to sort of get involved in ways that I hadn't yet before and to sort of tackle some new issues. Um, another interesting aspect is that the National Deer Alliance was an all deer organization, where QDMA uh, was whitetails only. Yeah. So, sort of, sort of new for QDMA was um, joining this new associate, the National Deer Association, where we focus on all deer species. So that helps to sort of broaden the broaden the issues that we engage on. And um, so, yeah, as you said, uh, as a group. Uh, the two organizations now becoming one. Uh, we are involved in initiatives in 35 different states, uh, national or numerous national-level initiatives, that, so federal lawmaking and federal rulemaking initiatives, and uh, initiatives in one Canadian province and even an issue in the United Kingdom. So we, we have a wide breadth, and we expect that to continue to grow uh, as we cover more issues. And, and now that we're fully covering all deer species, um, that list of states that we should be active in is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, overall, we engage in over 150 uh, legislative, regulatory, and policy issues uh, throughout 2020. Um, yeah. So, although although it was such a weird year in a number of ways, uh, we were really able to continue our policy policy momentum uh, through everything, and yeah. so we're really happy with that.
0: All right. So let me ask you this: uh, You guys worked on. Like policy issues in the United Kingdom. First off, what did you, you know, and you can give me this in a high level, um, but what did you work on in the UK, and why is that important to the North American deer hunter?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the stuff um, that we work on internationally, and so this this doesn't necessarily mean the UK, um, but we'll engage in hunters' rights. Uh, issues so whether whatever that may be in here I'm just gonna pull this up so I can make sure I'm getting you the correct information this was an issue that um, QDMA had uh, engaged on uh, prior to the merger but I do have it here so I want to pull that up uh, so I make sure I'm getting it right but um, so yeah that's what I expected it was Um, that was a uh, hunting trophy import export issue. So it's an issue where, uh, American hunters or, um, people coming into and out of the U S um, in this case, um, it was in the UK placing import export, uh, on, on hunt or on wildlife. Um, so perhaps if, um, somebody from the UK came here to hunt deer, could they import their trophy back to the UK or vice versa? We see that a lot, especially with African species. Yeah, I heard about Uh, that. Yeah, there was a big push in California earlier this year uh, to ban sort of the big five, uh, so hunters couldn't import those from from Africa. I think we're seeing a push on that in New York right now, too. Um, So that's sort of like the big international issue that we would deal with is is hunter rights issues. Um, And then in Canada, we the QDMA used to have branches in Canada. That is uh, not the case any longer, but we do still have members in Canada and we have members in other countries as well. Um, and a lot of deer management, uh, especially in sort of the Southern Canadian provinces and especially those sort of in the great plains region, uh, or just North of the great plains region in the U S have really healthy whitetail tail and mule deer populations. And so, um, we do pay attention to those issues as well, especially CWD issues. There, um, there is CWD in some of those Canadian provinces, so that, that's something that we're always watching too.
0: Gotcha. All right, so let's get into these then. Um, and on the top of the list is something about uh, deer hunting hours in New York. What uh, what went wrong or right there?
1: Yeah. So this is a, this one was actually a victory or the right step towards victory um, in New York's state, the legal deer hunting hours are sunrise to sunset. So they're the only state that limits deer hunting hours to that uh, specific window. The rest of the states are, you know, a half hour before sunrise to a half hour after sunset or some variation of that. Uh, that wasn't the case in New York. Um, so we were able to write a letter and then engage our New York membership to, uh, to try to get their uh, Department of Environmental Conservation to make a proposal to extend the legal deer hunting hours to one half hour before sunrise to one half hour after sunset. And so uh, that initiative actually made it into a proposal for the Deer Plan. And that Deer Plan will get voted on this winter, uh, in the next couple couple weeks actually, and hopefully become a new rule in in New York State. one of the interesting things there is we did some math. And so by adding a half hour before sunrise and a half hour after sunset, you're adding an hour of hunting opportunity each day, um, across like an 82 day season. So, uh, that little change would open up like 82 more hours of deer hunting, uh, per season in New York and arguably the best 82 hours time-wise for deer hunters to be, to be in the woods. Right. Um, and, and so some, some of the concerns that we heard were safety concerns, but we collect that kind of data for our annual deer report. Um, and there's no states that show any um, increase in safety concern by having legal hunting hours half half hour before sunrise or half hour after sunset. So right. uh, that shouldn't be an issue.
0: Right. So basically you provided facts to the I guess the lawmakers in that state and said listen there's 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 nothing wrong with expanding it a half hour at the beginning of the day and a half hour at the end of the day Uh, so let's do it did you guys run up against any opposition in in these type of legal changes
1: Uh, not a ton I think it's actually something that the agency had uh, tried to get through before and it hadn't worked Um, so it was good that we had Uh, sort of agency backing already, or at least no agency opposition. Um, We can provide tax all day long, and a lot of times that doesn't mean anything unless we're able to engage the membership. And in this case, um, it was something that our New York members overwhelmingly supported. And they sent enough letters and comments uh, in based on our action alert to, I think, really open the eyes and and make the people who make these rulemaking decisions understand that hunters wanted and that's really where sort of the effectiveness of what we do comes in is is being able to engage people and and get many many voices to be heard
0: right okay all right so that's a win that's a big win Uh, and i'm sure the the hunters out there uh like i know that in an organization like that when you're asking your um the membership or or the members to go do something like write a letter or call a representative or whatever and that leads to a success do you guys ever get I guess thank yous back from them saying hey man really appreciate the notice on this thank you for for doing what what it is you do whether it's from your members or for from other people
1: yeah both um we get emails all the time. Uh, like if I send out an action alert on a certain item, uh, we get, we've gotten some really great feedback and guys will say, or girls will say, you know, Hey, I appreciate you getting this in my inbox. Um, make sure you continue to send me things like this. Uh, we'll get people who just write back and say, you know, just sent the letter, uh, just to let us know that they were engaged. And then we even get, uh, information from whether it's like state, uh, game commissioners who have received a lot of input from our members that just, want to thank us for engaging hunters on the issue. Um, sometimes we hear good you know positive feedback feedback from lawmakers as well. So we definitely get that. Uh, the flip side is is that you're never going to get everybody to agree on everything. And so not all of our members in our particular state will be supportive or oppose whatever the, the piece of legislation is or whatever the piece of rulemaking is. So we do we do hear the other side of it too. Uh, where we have members concerned uh, as to why we would support or oppose a specific piece of legislation. And the answer to that is always the same, is that, you know, we've thought about this diligently. We have uh, regional directors that oversee those states who have a good feel of what the membership wants there. Um, And then we make all our decisions based on science. And so if the science is solid and we can back up our position with science, then that's why we take the position. And sometimes members are still going to disagree uh, and that's okay. But we just want to make sure that when we make a decision, a decision or take a stance that we can always support that decision with science.
0: Right. Okay. That's a good idea, man. It's, it's crazy that to me, that's common sense, right? <laughs> I just feel like a lot of,
1: <laughs> yeah, I,
0: there's so much emotion that goes into decision making these days that it's dumb. It, that's just my, yeah. Opinion.
1: And especially deer. It's yeah. like deer get, people get so emotional over deer um and we do get some responses that are just way out in left field um but you know you have to take the good with the bad yeah and, and so we we deal with those as best we can and um you know move on to the next item
0: yeah absolutely all right what happened in mississippi
1: mississippi this was a a big one that uh, we took charge on this summer uh there was a push uh in the mississippi uh board of commissioners to make some changes to their cwd regulations um the big one there was to allow baiting in a cwd zone which is a a, a big no-no for a number of reasons um and we don't have to get into that but we uh took the lead on a letter um and ended up having over a dozen uh state and national organizations sign on to our letter there uh, urging them not to make those changes, and ultimately they backed off and didn't make those changes. So that was a big win, uh, as far as CWD goes, yeah. Um,
0: so and also- hold up one second, I, I want to get the facts on this. Um, so they wanted to allow baiting in CWD zones, right? Right, okay. And you guys stepped in and said, Hey, guys, uh, you know, CWD is a contact type, you know. Uh, disease. We don't want uh, we don't want it spreading any more than it already should. Here's some science behind it, and you and then they changed that rule and they said, okay, no baiting, no more baiting in CWD zones.
1: Exactly. And so, um, I'd have to look at my notes, but I'm pretty sure the plan was um, that currently it was not allowed uh, within a within the disease zone. And they wanted to open it up back within a certain radius of, um, within the disease zone and within a certain radius of of positive detections. And and that's not something we support. We don't oppose uh, baiting, but we do oppose baiting in in disease management areas. And that follows um, the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which is basically a collection of all state fish and game, game agencies. That's the organization that represents them. Uh, they have put out their best management practices for CWD, and one of their recommendations is the best management practice is to not allow uh, baiting or supplemental feeding within a disease management area. And okay. so that's sort of the science that we were following on that is say, hey, we just want you to follow these uh, best management practices that are been lined out, uh, yeah. approved by scientists, you know, who are in charge of these decision making all across the country. Uh, it's not a good idea. Yeah. And so ultimately they they did back off on that.
0: Did that piss a lot of people off?
1: I'm sure it pissed them, uh, you know, some people off. Um, I don't want to get into it too much, but a lot of time, there's a lot of politics at play mm-hmm. in these types of decision makings. Um, there's certain voices that are tend to be louder or given more credence than others. Yeah. And so we just have to, we just have to be aware of that. And, uh, understand sort of some of the behind the scenes, uh, stuff that's at play.
0: Yeah. So basically what you're getting at is just because somebody screams the loudest and you hear that with the CWD talk, right? I mean, there's a group of people that think CWD is some kind of made up disease that was like the U S government gave it to the deer herd that, (laughs) you know, like whatever. Right. And, And those people just don't have the, the right knowledge behind their the words that they're saying
1: yeah yeah i mean we we've heard every conspiracy yeah. theory out there on cwd
0: yeah okay so that's uh that's a that's a, a good thing you know in mississippi that's a, a victory uh let's see here and what's the next one north carolina and sunday hunting
1: yeah this was a cool one we got asked to uh participate as a key st- stakeholder on a focus group um in north carolina they were looking to expand sunday hunting opportunities on their public lands they already had some some opportunities there on private lands, uh, but not so on the public lands and so they put together this big um stakeholder focus group with interests from all across all across the spectrum uh hunting hunting and fishing groups hiking groups uh horseback riding groups uh, the Audubon society. I mean, you name it. Uh, they had, they had people from each organization and they did a good job trying to figure out, um, which specific public lands and wildlife management areas would be good for Sunday hunting. And they took into account wildlife populations, uh, size of the tracks, um, the user groups that primarily use primarily use the tracks, um, and ultimately what they ended up doing was recommending, uh, allowing Sunday hunting in some shape or form on, on a large portion of their wildlife management area. So that was a big win, uh, to get some Sunday hunting opportunity in North Carolina.
0: Yeah. You know, there's other States that do that as well. I, I'm one in particular, and I think the state is, um, the, the hunters are getting their way there where, you know, they've increased Sunday hunting opportunities in Pennsylvania, but, um, what seems to be the opposition from I don't wherever that opposition is coming from? Is it more of a, hey, let the animals rest a day so we're not just pressuring the shit out of them? Or is it more along the lines of a religious thing?
1: Uh, no, so I'm in Pennsylvania, so yeah, I'm well aware of it uh, with what's going on here. I think the biggest pushback is um, pushback from other user groups. So people who like to hike or birdwatch or ride horses or mountain bike um, are pushing back in one a day on those public lands where they don't have to think about encountering other hunters. Nice. Um, and there's no, you know, no data to suggest that it's unsafe. Uh, people share the woods all the time, uh, but I think that tends to be uh, one of the largest pushbacks. Uh, Other pushbacks that we hear sometimes are private landowners um, being concerned that they will then have another day uh, where they have to watch out for trespassers or um, somebody, whether they have people hunting by permission, having people on there on Sundays, it's just a day where there's just nobody there, no hunting. And then I think uh, there is some opposition too within within the, within the hunting community. And I think, that opposition is more along the lines of what you stated where trying to get a day of rest, um, for the, for the resource, uh, just trying to take some pressure off. We, and then we still do here, but not nearly as often that people just think it's a day that, uh, they should be in church. Yeah.
0: Okay. So it's a little bit of everything.
1: It's a little bit of everything. I'd say the, I'd say the biggest thing is probably from other user groups wanting, uh, a day uh, with the woods free of hunters.
0: Yeah. All right. So let me ask you this. How do you, you know, you have one group who is using, Oh man, I just want to go hike without having to worry about running into hunters. And you mentioned that you bring facts and science and statistics to the table. What facts do you bring to the table on on a, a Sunday hunting debate?
1: There's a couple. Um, The biggest one is safety. There's a lot of safety data out there and, and and honey accidents do occur every year. Uh, That hasn't changed. But when you think about the number of hunters that are afield and the number of other users that are afield, that number is really small, like maybe one or two incidents in a state per year. Um, So it's not a great argument uh, for the other side. And then the other thing that, that, hunters like to bring up is that in most states uh hunting license dollars and, and here in pennsylvania this is the case are paying for a lot of the state-owned property so in in wildlife management areas or state game lands a lot of times those are solely funded by hunting license dollars yeah and so hunters feel you know as the funding user group that their interest should be priority yeah and and it's a, it's a good argument, um, the counter-argument to that, and you hear this from some hunters, is that if we start to charge other users uh, to use, whether that's like a, uh, a hiking permit or something like that, then that gives other people uh, more influence in the decision-making process for these lands. Yeah. So it, it, it goes both ways, and, and it gets to be a little bit of a slippery slope. Um, yeah. But when it, when it comes down to it, we need that second weekend day to really help with our hunter uh, recruitment. Right, absolutely. Because there's 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 so many things that take up people Saturdays now, um, that just having the, the Sunday available uh, would just go so far in recruiting new hunters and even retaining the hunters that we do have.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point. Well, that's a, a, another big win. Uh, you know, more hunting opportunities on Sundays. Um, are are you active in any other states uh, other than North Carolina, working with the government there to, or the, you know, the uh, DNR or whatever, to open up more Sundays in different states?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the states that have uh, prohibitions on Sunday hunting, those are statutory uh, prohibitions. So those – Those need to go through the state legislature and and Sunday hunting needs to become allowed via a new law. And so in Pennsylvania, the new law granted the game commission uh, three Sundays, one that could be used in the firearm season, one that could be used in the bear season and a third that could be used at their choosing. So they did the archery season. I I think that's how it worked. But anyway, I had three Sundays that they could use. They can't allow hunting on more than three Sundays, uh, to do so would take a new law. And so the other States that have these prohibitions are the same. Got um, in North Carolina, in North Carolina, they had this law approved actually many years ago that said that their, uh, wildlife agency could, could permit Sunday hunting, but the agency hadn't done so in a number of years. They hadn't come up with a good plan on how to do that until, until now. Uh, gotcha. So the way that we're doing that is, Is There are Sunday hunting bills that pop up every year in the various states, and as those pop up, those are bills that we support, so we'll uh, submit comments on, and then we also get that information out to our members to help them get in touch with their lawmakers to support those bills.
0: Cool, man. Well, that's a that's awesome because uh, I know a lot of guys, you know, I know uh, are are happy that Sunday hunting uh, is a thing now. I, like I, I just remember the the forums and the Facebook pages and stuff like that. The guys would really get heated. They're, they're like, "Well, it must be nice to hunt on Sundays," you know. So uh, I always got a yeah. kick out of that. But it looks like it, all yep. that's kind of leaning in the in back into a positive direction there. Yeah. Th- so
1: this this past uh, hunting season was our. First hunting season in Pennsylvania where we could hunt Sundays. Yeah, um, and I ended up not even hunting any of them, uh, just <laughs> the way <laughs> the way that my free time worked out and the way that my tags filled out. Um, I didn't hunt any of them, but it was still nice knowing that that was an option. Right. And I think even going forward, even going forward, if we were able to open up every Sunday, it's not like I would be hunting Saturday and Sunday of every weekend, but it would give me that opportunity that if Saturday is a crappy weather day and I want to take Saturday off and go hunting Sunday, that's something I could do. Or if I have something going on Saturday and so I'd rather hunt Sunday, it just makes that decision easier. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to is letting people make their own decisions on how they want to spend their Sundays.
0: Yeah. And just one idea, you know, talking from a hunting standpoint is, you know, a lot of people complain about how a state like Pennsylvania, there's just so much pressure, so much pressure in all this public ground. Well, if you open up Sunday hunting, that some of that pressure may go away. You know, guy, some guys can only hunt on Saturday. Maybe a couple guys can only hunt on Sunday in that area. So it kind of spreads, spreads that out potentially. I don't know. That's just a a random thought that popped into my head. So it could, it could improve the hunting in a particular state as well.
1: Yeah, it absolutely
0: could. So, all right. Um, We've already kind of talked about, uh, unless this, uh, this focus group for uh, some of these states or in a way letters regarding state sub CWD management plans. Is there anything worth talking about there?
1: No, I'll just mention. So uh, most states now have either CWD management plans, if they already have CWD within the state, or they have CWD response plans, which are plans on how they'll deal with CWD if, and when it pops up in their state. And so they're constantly either putting their, original plans out or revising old plans. And so those are things that we always provide comments on. Um, This past year, we provided comments on Pennsylvania's plan, Montana's plan, a plan in Texas, um, a plan in Arkansas that's actually about to be voted on uh, next month, and then a plan in Ontario, Canada. So just uh, paying attention to what they're doing with their CWD management.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So... You know, we talked about the Great American Outdoors Act a while ago, but just high-level, run through that real quick before we go on to the next one.
1: Yep, so Great American Outdoors Act um, established uh, full and permanent funding for the Land and Water Conservation Fund, the LWCF. Uh, they'll be throwing $900 million annually towards that fund, um, and then it also provided some money to help uh, address the $19 billion maintenance backlog on public lands, national parks, those sorts of things. So permanent conservation funding at a high level moving forward. The big thing that we're interested in now is implementation of that act and making sure that those dollars end up uh, on projects that are actually going to make a difference. Yeah.
0: yeah. Who regulates
1: that? That is through uh department of interior. Okay.
0: And so they're going to be the ones tasked to make sure that the, the, that 900 million, are allocated to projects that are that, that make a difference and that are important to whatever the land and the water.
1: Right. Okay. Yep, yep. Okay. And so LWCF, it does have sort of a, a large breadth of what it covers, um, but all of it is, is conservation projects in some way, shape, or form. So all gotcha. pretty good stuff.
0: Gotcha. All right, so let's see here. And then there's this S-3051, American Conservation Enhancement Act, uh, I don't know if I've heard about this one or not before. What, what's that all
1: about? Yeah, this was another uh, big sort of federal victory this year and sort of a series of federal victories that we had. Uh, the big thing as it pertains to deer is that it, the ACE Act establishes a federal CWD task force. Um, that'll be led by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, they're still trying to figure out exactly what that task force looks like and who it's made up by. Uh, so one of the things that we're really interested in is, is making sure that the task force is effective, that it's efficient, that it doesn't get too large, uh, so that you know good decisions could be made in a timely manner. Uh, so that's something we're hoping to have our hand in uh, through this coming year to help make sure that that CW task force gets off the ground and gets off the ground in the right direction.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, and that's that. W- that's led by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service.
1: Yep, which is under the Department of Interior.
0: Okay, gotcha. All right. All right, so uh, another big win there. I mean, so far it sounds like you guys uh, are just pulling victory out of, over victory over victory here. Um, uh, you joined a diverse coalition of 41 groups from across the hunting, fishing, landowner, and conservation communities in launching our Land, Water, Wildlife, Data work. What is that?
1: So that's a website that, um, and sort of a website and initiative that that we join forces on with, as it says there, are forty other, forty one other sort of conservation landowner groups uh, from across the country, uh, to highlight the impact of climate change on fish, wildlife, and habitat, and then to pro- promote uh, policy solutions um, in a number of key areas. So we're focused. We recognize that the climate is changing. Uh, It's not so important as to why it's changing. Um, That's one of those other things where everybody has their own theory. Uh, But again, we always follow the science. Uh, The science shows that the climate is changing and it is impacting our landscape. Um, And so we want to highlight to people in these groups and the hunting, fishing, uh, outdoor recreation communities the way that a changing climate affects fish, wildlife, and their habitat. And then we want to promote solutions that are natural and that help benefit fish, wildlife, and habitat. And so that's really what that whole initiative is all about. Um, as you said, the website is ourlandwaterwildlife.org. I do encourage everybody to log on there. Um, it may give you a new perspective on, on climate change and, and some of the impacts that it's having. Um, it might give you a new perspective on how we can help mitigate some of that and help reverse some of that. Uh, so it's, it's a worthwhile uh, initiative there and, and we are probably be a part of it. Um, climate is something that we're going to continue to engage on as well moving forward.
0: Gotcha. All right. So you, it looks like you also sent some letters to a variety of different states um, increasing some funding for CWD uh, like containing the spread of CWD.
1: Yeah. And we, we can talk more about this too, as we sort of look forward to 2021, but uh, federal funding for CWD is a big issue. Um, and it hasn't been where we want it to be yet, uh, so we're just really trying to increase awareness and advocacy in the capital uh, to help make lawmakers aware of the issue and how big of an issue it really is. Gotcha. And then to try to get some dollars behind that to get to the state.
0: All right. And you know, with all with with that, does that come out of the taxpayers' pockets on funding like that, or is it just is that allocated from somewhere else?
1: Yeah. So that comes from government appropriations. Um, and that'll come, it can come from different sources, but generally there's appropriations bills that, that say, you know, which money is going, where, um, and it really becomes a matter of just fighting for a piece of the pie. Okay. And so unfortunately the CWD piece of the pie has been pretty small so far at a federal level. And so we want to increase that.
0: Okay. Um, let's run through maybe something that we haven't talked about yet, um, in your guys's twenty twenty one focus areas, as far as policy is concerned. Um, obviously you just kind of mentioned it, that federal CWD funding, um, state CWD management plans. Uh, is that kind of like, uh, in case of fire break glass type document? Yeah,
1: exactly. So. And those would be more CWD response plans, but management plans have those in there too. So if CWD, if a state has CWD, um, this plan will outline the procedures within the current CWD zone. But then if like CWD pops up somewhere else within the state, it, it outlines the exact procedure that they'll take. So there's no surprises. Uh, this lets the agency act quickly and effectively, which is super important for uh, trying to reduce the spread. But it also let's the public know and let hunters know exactly what the procedure is so there's no surprises. Yeah. And that's really important. And, and CWD communications is so important. Getting people to understand why the agency is doing what it's doing is really important. That's something that, that we're working really hard on. Uh, we work closely with a number of state agencies on CWD communications, try to help the help hunters and the general public, even within those states understand yeah. this, the, the actual severity uh, or the threat that CWD presents um, but then we try to just make sure that everybody's on the same page as the why the management uh, objectives are what they are yeah. and it's it's easier said than done but i think we're making great headway um, i think slowly we're trying we're starting to get people realizing just how important this issue is
0: yeah So you guys are continuing to gain traction. Um, I know within the hunting quote unquote industry and community, there are people who, you know, like we discussed earlier, are not on, uh, not necessarily on board with the CWD movement has the, uh, from, and I know this isn't necessarily policy, so it might not be your uh, specific area of expertise, but maybe you could speak on it if you n- have any information. Are is there going to be any type of initiative, not necessarily broad like broad where it's you know all over the in- all over social media and stuff, but more internal where you know uh, the National Deer Association reaches out to people who have previously um, discounted uh, CWD, reached out to them and tried to change their mind about you know, about that and express some more urgency towards CWD?
1: Yeah. So that's something we're always trying to do. Um, and that's very clear in, in both our goals and our mission statements, and also in our strategic plan is that, uh, we're full speed ahead on CWD. Uh, fortunately our partners and sponsors recognize that and they're on board with us too, but everything that we do is for our membership, but it's also for industry. Um, Deer are the foundation of the hunting industry, and so everything we do is sort of broadcast uh, to industry-wide, and so we're doing that. And, of course, we've encountered people within the industry who are, are CWD deniers or uh, CWD downplayers, and we've had these discussions with them multiple times. Um, and there's, there's only so much you could do. But what we always make sure we're doing is just expressing the science and showing the data and showing the facts. Yeah. And if people refuse to see what the facts or the data is saying, then there's not a whole lot more we can do. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it can get very frustrating, um, but we're constantly trying to evolve the way that we communicate about CWD. And we're doing that in a number of ways. Uh, you'll see – is putting out quite a few videos uh, answering uh, commonly asked questions on stuff, CWD, talking about targeted removal, um, a variety of topics, how to field dress deer uh, if you need to, to remove them from a CWD zone. And so we're just trying, you know, different media, different forms of media. I mean, we're talking about it now on a podcast just trying to reach the broadest audience we can and just maybe present it in different ways that might be more digestible for people.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So um, kind of moving forward with that. You know, we've already talked about Sunday hunting. Um, what's this active force management? Uh, is that, is that a new program that uh, is going to be implemented in specific States?
1: No, active forest management is just the practice of, of, actively working on, on forest. So, uh, cutting, thinning, uh, planting where necessary, altering habitat, fire, um, for the longest time, I think there was just this environmental movement where it was uh, taboo to cut down a tree. Uh, but that could be more, you know, more far from the truth. And so, um, especially on our federal and state public lands, we're really encouraging, uh, agencies that take an active role in managing those forests and it, it has a lot of benefits for wildlife and all kinds of wildlife. It's not just deer. Um, huge huge uh, benefits for uh, small game, uh, other carnivores, predators, uh, songbirds, uh, reptiles, amphibians, I mean, you name it. Um, but just sort of altering age structures and, uh, and cover and habitat types uh, is really important and so a lot of times you'll see where large swaths of publicly owned lands are just sort of there sitting uh, dormant and there hasn't been any uh, management by state or federal agencies on those properties. And so anytime that there's a, um, a proposal that's, that pops up where, whether it's the forest service or a state agency is trying to actively manage a, one of their, their tracks, that's something we're going to support as long as there's good science uh, based reasoning, Uh, to do that a good example of this is we just actually joined um a friend of the court brief uh, for a lawsuit in indiana the forest service had a a project there that they were hoping to carry out on the hoosier national forest in southern indiana Uh, they were proposing to do some cutting and thinning and just to actively manage the forest Um, some environmental groups pushed back arguing that uh they shouldn't be cutting this forest there would be severe you know environmental concerns or impacts and the data and the science just doesn't show that and so we signed on with a handful of other conservation organizations uh to express to the court hearing the case that uh active forest management in this way of cutting and sitting and altering is really important for a variety of reasons um and again not just the deer but all sorts of wildlife yeah so the, it's a big thing moving forward. You'll see, too, um, and I think we'll see more of this, um, especially after 2020 with all the the fires out west and some incredibly large fires. Um, active forest management is a really good way to help uh, manage fire yeah, um, and help to, to manage wildfire. Yeah, And so that's really important. And so 2021 might be a really good year to actually get some widespread support um, on these types of issues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So now's the time and it it sucks that I even have to say this, but this, this episode was not full of hunting strategy and tactics and big buck talk. Um, but it's equally as important to the grand scheme of things that allow us as hunters to continue to do what we do, um, every single year. Right. It's just like, if you're going to be involved, this is this is important too so with that said um what can people who are listening to this or they need to share this with their friends or whatever what can we as hunters do to not only stay engaged but to be active in i guess you want to call it advocacy or um the the rules and regulations that are being implemented on our states every year
1: yeah but like you said, it's it's hard for people to sort of get to this level of, of understanding, um, and a big reason for that is that deer are widespread. Um, yeah. certainly there are places where you you hear people uh, talk about you know uh, poor populations or decreasing populations, but for the most part, um, seeing a deer is not unusual at all for people, and so that sort of leads to the assumption that uh, there's no real um, there's no real, uh, harm or there's no real threat to to populations of the species as a whole. And so it makes it hard to, to, to get up the, um, enthusiasm to engage in in deer policy issues. Um, but I I said it earlier is that deer are the foundation of our hunting industry. And so 80% of people who hunt, hunt deer. Um, and that's a, that's probably a stat that has been mentioned on your, uh, on your show before by my boss and and some of my coworkers, but it's incredibly important because you have 80% of the people who hunt are deer hunters. That's 80% of hunters, uh, being able to lend their voice to deer advocacy. And that's a lot of support behind deer advocacy issues. And so, you know, we need to, even if it's slow, we need to increase the number of people uh, who are engaging on these issues because we have a huge network out there that can really make a difference. Yeah. Um, and so it is really important. And, and a lot of these issues are not just deer issues, but they're broader conservation issues. Yeah. And so maybe you're a casual deer hunter, but you love uh, fishing, or maybe you love backpack camping, or something like that. Um, these are all, these issues are so intertwined and intermingled uh, that they affect way more than deer and, and some are very deer specific Yeah, and, and we certainly love those too, but you know, there's so much that goes into it and we do have such a loud voice. Um, but we don't have a very collective voice. Yeah, And so that's the goal is to sort of unify that deer hunting voice for the good of deer across the country and, and for the good of deer habitat and hunting. Um, and that's important too, is just, um, issues that affect hunters and hunting as a pastime, as a tradition, as a sport. Um, So these are all important things. The best way to get engaged in the way that we get engaged with our membership um, and supporters is through uh, email. And so if you go to deerassociation.com forward slash newsletter, you just throw your email in our database there. You don't have to pay to sign up for the newsletter, although we'd love to have you as a paid member. Um, but each week, uh, we send out a newsletter that has all of our advocacy issues in there, as well as a lot of other great just deer science, deer biology, uh, CWD issues, giveaways. I mean, you name it. But each week, we put all of these policy updates in there. And then also by signing up, uh, you will get in your inbox uh, state-specific issues. So in your case, Dan, uh, if an Iowa, a piece of Iowa legislation pops up, uh, that we need our members to engage on, you know, we'll put together an action alert, um, and we'll hit that into the inbox of every every email that we have in Iowa. And so from that email, then, those folks can take one click. It takes them to our grassroots advocacy center, uh, and there you'll find just a pre-populated uh, letter to send to your uh, representative. The system already knows who your representatives are based on where you live. All you have to do is fill out your name and your zip code so it knows where to send it, and and you've taken action. It literally takes one minute. It's that simple. Um, and so that's so important. You know, We're doing all the legwork on this end so that you don't have to do it on, on, on the other end. And yeah. It's as easy as that, and I know I know people get a ton of emails, uh, but it, it really is so quick and simple, and it does make a difference. And we've seen it make a difference. Yeah. And, and so it does work, and we just need to unify the voice. Um, we're trying to think of some creative ways that we can increase our engagement from our members and supporters. Um, and you know, hopefully talking about it like we have today, uh, shows people that it does work and that it does make a difference and that we are engaged in a variety of topics and issues.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of information on this episode. And, uh, first off I want to, you know, to you and your entire crew over there at the National Deer Association, um, Kudos to you guys for doing what you do and, you know, basically working in the shadows to allow guys like us, like me, and all the listeners out there, um, to do what we do and uh hunt and fish and all that yeah, good I stuff. Mean, so
1: I love uh, I love talking big bucks, big bucks strategy uh, as much as the next guy, but um a lot of that wouldn't be possible with some of the behind the scenes stuff and so that is yep. important to to remember.
0: For That's sure. a fact. That's a fact, my friend. Well, Mr. Torn Miller, I appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast today and chit-chatting with us and, and sharing all this information. And uh, um, yeah, appreciate it, man. I
1: appreciate you, Dan. Um, I'm going to give you the Mark Kenyon challenge and challenge you to come out to Pennsylvania and hunt sometime soon.
0: <laughs> give me some time. Give me some time. Michigan was a yeah. <laughs> Michigan was a kick in the dick, man. I got, I got
1: yeah <laughs> You need a couple years to lick
0: your wounds and, and get back in a groove. <laughs> and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, huge shout out to Torin and the whole staff there at the National Deer Association. Please go, uh, you know, just Google National Deer Association, go to their website, look and see what these guys are doing and uh, get a membership. Other than that, huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Wasp, Vortex, Ozonics, lone wolf please go out and support the companies that support this podcast man these guys are are they're all doing great things um they all make great products i love the people that work for the companies um just really good people other than that man uh thank you very much for listening each and every one of you please stay positive please send out good vibes you're gonna get good vibes back um And just go outside and have fun. If you're ever stressed, get outside, man. Uh, I'm telling you, it is a medicine. So uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, we got another episode coming on Friday. So stay tuned.